Well, what a journey First Samuel has been. It, uh, I feel like we've, uh, we've had such a blessed time looking at this story again of beginning with Hannah and her cry out to God and then the raising up of Samuel and then the contrast of these two men, Saul and David, that God wants us to reflect on, on what is going on in their lives and why, why is there such a difference, actually, between Saul and David? Because there is quite a difference. And as we move into chapter 29 tonight, the story of David going with the Philistines to fight against Israel. What is he doing? He's got himself into an absolute mess. Do you ever get yourself into a mess? <laughs> yeah, right. Do you ever do stuff and you find yourself getting worse and we're into more of a mess than you were before you started and it just gets worse? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, that's right, Stuart. Well, this story is for us tonight so that when you get yourself into such a state, you might know the way of escape. David has made some critical mistakes and we've been looking at Saul making mistakes. So what is the difference between these two men? David finds himself in this impossible situation. His lies have led to deeper trouble and the false confidence of Achish. You know what Achish says to him here, or says to the Philistine rulers? Extraordinary things. You know, when you've lied to somebody and they, they say... Well, I found no fault in him to this day. And since he deserted to me. And then even as Akish speaks to David later on. For I found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. And David has lied to him face to face. He told Akish when he was fighting against tribes that were hostile to Israel, that he was actually fighting the Israelites to win Achish's support for him, living in the Philistine territory. Why would David consider this man a man after his own heart? Have you ever told a lie? Well, if you're shaking your head, you're lying to me tonight. There are many things that we lie about. Sometimes even perhaps unconsciously we pass on information that we've received thinking it's the truth when it's not. I was with someone recently who was convinced about something and he was arguing with me and I knew what he was saying was false. Well, we can be in that state. Well, here's David encounter with these Philistines. How do we escape from these messes we get ourselves into? What is the way out? All of us need to know the answer to this tonight because every one of us in this room gets ourselves into a mess through our own sin. And this chapter actually contains a secret of how to get out. You'd say, where is it? Well, you just wait and see. In the encounter David has with the Philistine leaders, a question is asked of Achish. In verse uh, 29, 
uh, chapter 29, sorry. A question is asked. The commanders of the Philistines were angry and the commanders of the Philistines said to him, send the man back. He may return to the place for which you assigned him. He shall not go out with us into battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? That's not exactly what the NIV says. The NIV says what Arnus read to us. How better could he regain his master's favour than by taking the heads of our own men? How could he, you know, reconcile himself to his God? Ha! He'll do it by defeating us, killing us in the battle. Why do they ask this question? Why do they even consider this question? How will this man reconcile himself to his Lord? Did you know that's the most important question you can ask yourself? That actually is the most important question you must ask yourself. How will you reconcile yourself to your Lord? Well, let's see how this all unfolds. This is the question tonight. How could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Well, we know David is trapped by his own sin. Lies have led to false confidence and trust that is mislaid. Akish is confident David will fight against his own people because David has reported to him that this is what he's already been doing. But this was false. Now David is captured by his lies to form an alliance that would actually lead him to fight against God's own people, the people he is to lead. What is he doing? What is the answer here? How will he get himself out of this? Do you remember the uh, statement in Ephesians chapter 2? What are the great words of Ephesians chapter 2? They are two words. But God. Thank you. Who was that? (laughs) But God. The man at the back there. But God. The Philistine leaders question Achish's false confidence based upon David's past record. You see, David is, what does they say here? Saul has slain his thousands and David is ten thousands. They remember what David has done. His victories were so extensive because why were David's victories so extensive? Why was he able to achieve so much more than Saul when he fought the battles? Do you remember how David won his battles? Do you remember his words to Goliath as he went out with all the other Israelites in fear in their tents? In 1 Samuel 17, David says to this Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 
and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. The battle belongs to God. David's confidence is not in himself. And right now, as he's following Akish with the Philistines to fight the very people he's to rule over, what is David hoping will happen? If God does not step in here, there is a big problem with David. But God. But God. He's in a terrible mess. Just as God gave him victory over Goliath, so God steps in again right here. God moves the leaders of the Philistines to question David's true condition. The Philistine armies reject David and send him away. And David is reconciled to his God. How? By God stepping in, into the scene for him. Because actually this is what David always believes. Later in the story of David, he again sins grievously. Now, how can this be a man after God's own heart? Looks upon a woman bathing and lusts after her and goes and sleeps with her and has a child while her husband is fighting the battles that he should be fighting himself. How could this be a man after God's own heart? Is that the way sometimes we look at people? We see their outward appearance. We see their outward performance. We see what they achieve. Give them a tick because yeah, they're doing pretty well outwardly. Well, here, David's not doing too well outwardly at all. But what is in his heart? What is actually in David's heart? Well, we see it beautifully later on in his life. David sins grievously. In reprehensible ways, he seeks to cover his transgression, having Bathsheba's husband thrust into the forefront of the battle and having him killed however when he is confronted with his sin when he is awakened to his true state what does he say then well let me read to you what he says have mercy on me O God according to your steadfast love how could God love someone in such a terrible state as this David actually believes he can David actually believes that the God of heaven, the God that he has worshipped from a child, God who is his shepherd, the God who, who reigns over the whole earth, the God who created him, is a God who could reconcile him to himself. A God who could do it when he could not do anything. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. David believed that the God of Israel was a God who could remove his sin. 
Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. David knows from childhood he was a sinner. Is that what you've told your children when they grow up? Do you realize you're born to me and I'm a sinner, so you're a sinner too. And you're going to go on sinning. You can't stop doing it, actually, until you come to Jesus. Be careful we don't raise children thinking that they're righteous when they're not righteous. They're sinners. I have sinned. When my sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You delight in truth in the inward being. So when the tax collector goes into the temple and the Pharisee and they pray and the Pharisee stands up and says, oh, I'm glad I'm not like this guy. And the tax collector is absolutely smitten by God and realizes how wretched he is. There's truth in the inward parts. This truth, he's facing the reality of his own weakness, his sinfulness. And Jesus said, it's that man who went home justified. It's that man who was reconciled to God. It's that man who trusted there was a God who can reconcile him himself. Teach me wisdom in the secret heart, says David. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Do you believe that? Do you believe there is a God, no matter what you have done, no matter what you have corruptly done in your life, he could wash you so you could be whiter than snow? Do you believe in such a God? David believed in such a God. And let me tell you this, the Philistine leaders did not believe in this God. The Philistine leaders believed that in order to reconcile yourself to your God, you had to do something. You had to show your, your, your fervor. But David doesn't believe this. David believes that we are reconciled to God by his mercy. By God's action, not our action. Purge me with his. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Do you believe in a God like this? He has not changed, has he? He's the same God back there in Israel. Back there in, in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers going on. He's the same God. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You do it, God, because I can't do it. You reconcile me to you because I can't reconcile myself. Do you believe in such a God as this? Is this the God you came to worship tonight? 
Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Are you broken? over your condition do you realize you can do nothing at all to reconcile yourself to God do good to Zion and your good pleasure build up the walls of Jerusalem then will you delight in right sacrifices in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings then bulls will be offered on your altar So we ask the question that the Philistine rulers asked, how shall this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? They concluded, oh, he'll come and kill us. He'll do something to reconcile himself. But God steps in here and reconciles David to himself by causing him not to fight the battle. And Paul, when he writes, as we read tonight in 2 Corinthians, he tells us exactly the same thing. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are known is known to God, and I hope it's known to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. You see, God looks on our hearts. And the most important thing he's looking for in your heart and my heart, what do you believe about me, he says. The most important thing you can live daily, what do you believe about God? You see, our brother Rana shared tonight that we should go on praying no matter how we're feeling, no matter what it looks like, no matter how difficult. Why should we do that? Because we have a God who hears. Read the story of Peter and James locked in prison. James's head is chopped off. Peter's in prison. Were they praying with a lot of good feelings? Were they, you know, exalting the Lord? When Peter comes and knocks on the door, Rhoda doesn't even believe. It's what you believe about God that matters. That is the most important thing in your life, actually. What you believe in your heart about God, that is what counts. And Paul says this, for if we are beside ourselves, and sometimes we ought to be beside ourselves, so excited with the God we worship, it is for God. And if we're in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Do you know how much you are loved by Jesus? Have you spent time in his presence, seeking his face, and have him break through and tell you just how much he loves you? Do you know I heard a wonderful message, the message that was preached by a young man called Zach in Asbury, Zach, and he said, I'm back. And he said, do you know, you can't love until you have been loved. 
You need to seek the God who wants to love you so much that you'll be overflowing with his love for others. What do you believe about God? This is the most significant thing. What the Philistine rulers believed about God or a God is that you must do something to reconcile yourself to him. But what David believes is God is going to do something to reconcile himself to God. And this pleases God greatly. Because we are concluded, says Paul, that one has died for all. Jesus died for you. He died for me. To reconcile me to his father. That I might come into his presence and know him as my father. And he wants you to know him as your father. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. It's easy to judge each other, isn't it? It's easy to judge people, to look at their performance, to look at their activity, their outward appearance. But Paul says, we regard nobody from a human point of view anymore. Even though once we did regard even Jesus Christ from that point of view, we regard him thus no longer. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. If you have a brother and sister who's come to know Jesus as their saviour, that person is a new creation. My brother Chi down the road is a new creation. My brother Charlie across the road is a new creation. My brother down there, Lamb from, from Sudan, he's a new creation. My brother Stephen at Regeneration, he's a new creation. My brother Gary over there in ministry is a new creation. We are children of God. The old has gone, passed away, the new has come. All this is from God. All of it's from God. We did nothing ourselves. All of it is from God. And David in his life actually believes all of it is from God. That is why David is a man after God's own heart. That's why when he fights Goliath, he says, not to Goliath, I'm going I'm to swing this stone around and going to kill you. No, you defied God. He's going to fight you. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. You know, on Friday night, we had a beautiful Bible study with Alex Christian on Zoom. He was looking at Genesis chapter 15, one of the most beautiful chapters in the Old Testament to describe the reconciling work of God, the the covenant that God made with Abram. You know, he gets Abram to make these sacrifices, just like the, the common practice of covenant making of the time. He gets these sacrifices, he gets all these animals set up. You know, he's about 85, probably even 90 years old at this stage. How are you going, Neville? Cutting up animals and laying them out in a line and, and, and you know, getting them all ready. And, and, then, and, then, and then the birds of prey come down to devour these and he's fighting them off. How are you going, Neville? You know, you're getting up there. And, and what does it say? He was exhausted. 
and he falls down flat on the ground. He's absolutely wiped out. And God says, now I can do it. Now I will walk between these animals. I will show you that you can't do anything. I will do it all. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus on the cross. You can do nothing. God does it all for you. And that's what God tells Abram there in this covenant-making exercise. I, I will be sacrificed. If either of us break the covenant, it will be me who is sacrificed. And surely he is on the cross of Calvary. It's all of God. He says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So the biggest problem with people living out there in the world is that they believe what the Philistine leaders believed. They believe that they've got to do something to reconcile themselves to God when they don't have to do anything. It's all been done for them on the cross. That's why we're down there together for Clayton. We want to tell people, you don't have to do anything. It's all been done for you. What a different message that is to the message Satan drives every false religion, every activity. And I had a man come down and interrogate me with all his questions. He was spiritually on another plane altogether. He needed to be put outside, actually. He was disturbing the peace. And Alex and I prayed and he, he went away. Because his whole focus was that he had a higher truth. I said, you better be careful of a higher truth. That sounds like pride to me. And God wars against the proud. A higher truth. There is no higher truth than the truth that is found in Jesus. God doing all the work and reconciling us to himself. So God wars against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble who believe him. Not counting their trespasses against them. Here is David. He has lied to Achish. He's got himself in a terrible mess. And God does not count his sins against him, but steps into the scene and rescues him from this mistake. And if you're in a a mess because of mistakes you've made, You need to stop trying to get yourself out of it. You need to trust God and cast all your burden on him. He will get you out. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, says Paul. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And how shall this fellow be reconciled to his Lord? By believing in the character of his God, who does all of it himself. Yes, the Philistine leaders never understood the true nature of God. And Saul himself, the former king, also did not understand when he thought to make the sacrifice before Samuel came, he felt he had to do something. He wasn't trusting God to do it all. The Philistine gods required of them actions of themselves. They were dead idols and behind them were demons who demanded their adherents save themselves through their good deeds or their sacrifices. The works of man rather than the work of God 
was their method of salvation. Well, tonight, the question that the Philistine rulers asked Akish, how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord, is the question God is asking you and me tonight. How are you reconciled to your Lord? Amen.